Chapter Eight of Tales of the Five Towns. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Clifton. Tales of the Five Towns by Arnold Bennett. Chapter Eight: The Idiot. William Froyle, ostler at the Queen's Arms at Moorthorne, took the letter, and with a curt nod which stifled the loquacity of the village postman. Went at once from the yard into the coach house. He had recognised the handwriting on the envelope, and the recognition of it gave form and quick life to all the vague suspicions that had troubled him some months before, and again during the last few days. He felt suddenly the near approach of a frightful calamity which had long been stealing towards him. A wire-sheathed lantern set on a rough oaken table cast a wavering light round the coach-house and dimly showed the inner stable. Within the latter could just be distinguished the mottled grey flanks of a fat cob, which dragged its chain occasionally, making the large, slow movements of a horse comfortably lodged in its stall. The pleasant odour of animals and hay filled the wide spaces of the shed. And through the half-open door came a fresh, thin mist rising from the rain-soaked yard in the November evening. Froyle sat down on the oaken table, his legs dangling, and looked again at the envelope before opening it. He was a man about thirty years of age, with a serious and thoughtful, rather heavy countenance. He had a long, light moustache, and his skin was a fresh, rosy salmon colour. His straw-tinted hair was cut very short, except over the forehead, where it grew full and bushy. Dressed in his rough stable corduroys, his forearms bare and white, he had all the appearance of the sturdy Englishman, the sort of Englishman that crosses the world in order to find vent for his taciturn energy on virgin soils. From the whole village, he commanded and received respect. He was known for a scholar. And it was his scholarship which had obtained for him the proud position of secretary to the Provident Society, styled the Queen's Arms Slate Club. His respectability and his learning combined had enabled him to win with dignity the hand of Susie Trimmer, the grocer's daughter, to whom he had been engaged about a year. The village could not make up its mind concerning that match. Without doubt, it was a social victory for Froyle. But every one wondered that so sedate and sagacious a man should have seen in Susie a suitable mate. He tore open the envelope with his huge forefinger and, bending down towards the lantern, began to read the letter. It ran: Oldcastle Street, Bursley. Dear Will, I asked father to tell you, but he would not. He said I must write. Dear Will, I hope you will never see me again. As you will see by the above address, I am now at Aunt Penrose's at Bursley. She is awful angry, but I was obliged to leave the village because of my shame. I have been a wicked girl. It was in July. You know the man because you asked me about him one Sunday night. He is no good. He's a villain. Please forget all about me. I want to go to London. So many people know me here, and what with people coming in from the village too. Please forgive me. S. Trimmer. After reading the letter a second time, Froyle folded it up and put it in his pocket. Beyond a slight, unaccustomed pallor of the red cheeks, he showed no sign of emotion.
Before the arrival of the postman he had been cleaning his master's bicycle, which stood against the table. To this he returned. Kneeling down in some fresh straw, he used his dusters slowly and patiently, rubbing, then stopping to examine the result, and then rubbing again. When the machine was polished to his satisfaction, he wheeled it carefully into the stable, where it occupied a stall next to that of the cob. As he passed back again, the animal leisurely turned its head and gazed at Froyle with its large, liquid eyes. He slapped the immense flank. Content, the animal returned to its feed, and the weighted chain ran down with a rattle. The fortnightly meeting of the Slate Club was to take place at eight o'clock that evening. Froyle had employed part of the afternoon in making ready his books for the event, to him always so solemn and ceremonious, and the affairs of the club were now prominent in his mind. He was sorry that it would be impossible for him to attend the meeting. Fortunately, all the usual preliminaries were complete. He took a piece of notepaper from a little hanging cupboard, and, sprawling across the table, began to write under the lantern. The pencil seemed a tiny toy in his thick, roughened fingers. To Mr. Andrew McCall, Chairman Queen's Arms Slate Club, Dear Sir, I regret to inform you that I shall not be at the meeting tonight. You will find the books in order. Here he stopped, biting the end of the pencil in thought. He put down the pencil and stepped hastily out of the stable, across the yard and into the hotel. In the large room, the room where cyclists sometimes took tea and cold meat during the summer season, the long deal table and the double line of oaken chairs stood ready for the meeting. A fire burnt warmly in the big grate, and the hanging lamp had been lighted. On the wall was a large card containing the rules of the club, which had been written out in a fair hand by the schoolmaster. It was to this card that Froyle went. Passing his thumb down the card, he paused at Rule 7. Each member shall, on the death of another member, pay one shilling for benefit of widow or nominee of deceased, same to be paid within one month after notice given. Or nominee, nominee, he murmured reflectively, staring at the card. He mechanically noticed what he had noticed often before with disdain, that the chairman had signed the rules without the use of capitals. He went back to the dusk of the coach-house to finish his letter, still murmuring the word nominee, of whose meaning he was not quite sure. I request that the money due to me from the Slate Club on my death shall be paid to my nominee, Miss Susan Trimmer, now staying with her aunt, Mrs. Penrose, at Bursley. Yours respectfully, William Froyle. After further consideration, he added, P.S. My annual salary of sixpence per member would be due at the end of December. If so be the members would pay that, or part of it, should they consider the same due, to Susan Trimmer as well, I should be thankful. Yours, Resp. W.F. He put the letter in an envelope, and, taking it to the large room, laid it carefully at the end of the table, opposite the chairman's seat. Once more he returned to the coach-house. From the hanging cupboard he now produced a piece of rope. Standing on the table he could just reach, by leaning forward, a hook in the ceiling that was sometimes used for the slinging of bicycles. With difficulty he made the rope fast to the hook. Putting a noose on the other end, he tightened it round his neck. 
He looked up at the ceiling and down at the floor in order to judge whether the rope was short enough. Goodbye, Susan and everyone, he whispered, and then stepped off the table. The tense rope swung him by his neck halfway across the coach house. He swung twice to and fro, but as he passed under the hook for the fifth time, his toes touched the floor. The rope had stretched. In another second he was standing firm on the floor, purple and panting, but ignominiously alive. "'Good evening to you, Mr. Froyle. Be you committing suicide?' The tones were drawling, uncertain, mildly astonished. He turned round hastily, his hands busy with the rope, and saw in the doorway the figure of daft Jimmy the Moorthorne idiot. He hesitated before speaking, but he was not confused. No one could have been confused before daft Jimmy. Neither man nor woman in the village considered his presence more than that of a cat. "'Yes, I am,' he said. The middle-aged idiot regarded him with a vague, interested smile, and came into the coach-house. "'You'n gotten the rope too long, Mr. Foyle. Let me help you.' Froyle calmly assented. He stood on the table, and the two rearranged the noose and made it secure. As they did so, the idiot gossiped, "'I was going to Bursley to-night to buy me a pair of boots, and when I was at top of the hill, I remembered as I'd forgotten the measure of my feet. So I ran back again for it. Then I saw the light in here, and I stepped up to bid ye good evening.' Someone had told him the ancient story of the fool and his boots, and with the pride of an idiot in his idiocy, he had determined that it should be related of himself. Froyle was silent. The idiot laughed with a dry cackle. "'Now you go,' said Froyle, when the rope was fixed. "'Let me see you do it,' the idiot pleaded with pathetic eyes. "'No, out you get.' Protesting, the idiot went forth, and his irregular, clumsy footsteps sounded on the pebble-paved yard. When the noise of them ceased in the soft roadway, Froyle jumped off the table again. Gradually his body, like a stopping pendulum, came to rest under the hook, and hung twitching with strange, disconnected movements. The horse in the stable, hearing unaccustomed noises, rattled his chain and stamped about in the straw of his box. Furtive steps came down the yard again, and daft Jimmy peeped into the coach-house. "'He done it! He done it!' the idiot cried gleefully. "'Damned if he hasna!' He slapped his leg and almost danced. The body still twitched occasionally. "'He done it!' "'Done what, daft Jimmy? You're making a fine noise there. Done what?' The idiot ran out of the stable. At the side entrance to the hotel stood the barmaid, the outline of her fine figure distinct against the light from within. The idiot continued to laugh. "'Done what?' the girl repeated, calling out across the dark yard in clear, pleasant tones of amused inquiry. "'Done what?' "'What's that to you, Miss Tucker?' "'Now, none of your sauce, daft Jimmy. Is Willie Froyle in there?' The idiot roared with laughter. "'Yes, he is, miss.' "'Well, tell him his master wants him. I don't want to cross this mucky, messy yard.' "'Yes, miss.' The girl closed the door. The idiot went into the coach-house, and, slapping William's body in a friendly way, so that it trembled on the rope, he spluttered out between his laughs, "'Master wants ye, Mr. Froyle!' Then he walked out into the village street, and stood looking up the muddy road, still laughing quietly. 
It was quite dark, but the moon aloft in the clear sky showed the highway with its shining ruts leading in a straight line over the hill to Bursley. Them shoes, the idiot ejaculated suddenly. Well, I'll be an idiot, and that's true. They can take the measure from my feet, and I never thought on it till this minute. Laughing again, he set off at a run up the hill. End of chapter 8